Welcome to This Climate Business, the podcast about turning the climate crisis into an opportunity. I'm Vincent Herringer. Every week I talk to entrepreneurs, investors and experts about what they're doing to solve the climate crisis and get New Zealand down to zero emissions by 2050 or sooner. This Climate Business is brought to you by Podcasts New Zealand. We know that forests are critical to solving climate change. They absorb carbon dioxide as they grow. They keep that carbon stored as mature trees or as timber when harvested. They replenish soils, foster rain, provide habitat for other species and make excellent places for mountain bike trails or secret love shacks. Who doesn't love a forest? Well, not us, if you look at our track record. In the last 200 years, we've cut down and burned more than 80% of New Zealand's original forests. What remains of that primeval wonderland are pockets of conservation managed by the government and protected patches on privately owned farms. And where we are replanting trees, we've favoured exotic species, especially the mighty Pinus radiata, much loved for its fast-growing, versatile timber, but not loved for its tendency to smother native competition and in many parts of the country become a wilding pest. But that soon could change. A new movement is underway, led in part by Tane's Tree Trust, a group of feisty foresters, farmers and scientists who want to reverse the decline in native forests by rewarding and incentivizing private landowners to plant native trees. They say native forests have multiple advantages and can comfortably sit alongside farms and pine forests as a source of income, as long-term carbon stores for biodiversity credits and perhaps controversially as a source of rare rainforest timber fetching high prices on the global stage. This week, Tane's Tree Trust launched Otato Nahiri or Our Forest, a joint venture with business lobby group Pure Advantage. Together, they are calling for a major shift in thinking and practice regarding native forests, that it's not just the job of the government, but also of farmers, landowners and all New Zealanders to plant and nurture native trees. This is especially true if New Zealand is to meet its climate change targets. In January, the Climate Change Commission proposed 300,000 hectares of new native forests be established by 2035 to provide effective carbon sinks over the next century. Pure Advantage is more ambitious. We think 350,000 is doable under the current settings, says Sir Stephen Tyndall, a trustee of Pure Advantage. And, he carries on, with the right changes to regulations and incentives, we could achieve the moonshot of between 1 million and 2 million hectares of new permanent native forest cover in the next 15 years. Successfully achieving this could reduce our current carbon footprint and add numerous other commercial and biodiversity benefits, he says. Now, full disclosure, I'm a paid consultant on this project and I have contributed to some of its promotional content. And you can see some of that work at pureadvantage.org, including the gorgeous film about Waikato farmer Ian Brennan, whose farm is now effectively a poster child for native regeneration. I attended the launch of Otato Nahiri last week, and I grabbed a few minutes with some of the key contributors. What you're about to hear is their answers to two main questions. Why does this matter to you and to New Zealand? And what would it look like if you succeeded? 
I started with Sir Stephen Tyndall, followed by Dayman Salmon and others. Enjoy the show and let's get planting. Well, I didn't start it myself. I started with a bunch of others, but I've always believed that native trees in New Zealand play an amazing part of our culture, our heritage, our spiritual life, you know, and um, I was brought up as a kid walking through native bush most days actually down to the water's edge uh, where I lived in Bayswater. Uh, so I've always had a great love of native trees. I think the other thing is that, you know, I've, I've kind of thought about myself as, you know, part of a colonial nation that actually cut down all these trees and turned New Zealand into a giant farm. And, you know, I think we actually have an obligation to try and restore that to the, to the best of our ability. And this is probably the first time really, you know, in 70 years since I've been around where there's an imperative now, you know, the, the climate change is such a massive imperative to, for us to try to actually mitigate what's happening and to sequester carbon dioxide. You know, and if we got the nation actually behind us, uh, and we actually went way above what the Climate Change Commission is suggesting. And we got so many people planting trees, and particularly native trees, you know, we could actually reverse the situation we've got where we're creating more carbon in this country than is being sequestered. A lot of the return in this particular case is intangible. So I am a businessman and I like profits. Um, that's why I've been talking to the government today about how we can actually change things so that we can actually get a lot more carbon credits and timber prices. So we have been involved in watching uh, selective logging in the far north of, of uh, Totara. Uh, and, you know, you can make money out of the timber on that. Um, but also, if we change the rules a little bit, that are actually, which is a legal thing to do, so that we can actually count the carbon credits from native forests, which we can't at the moment, this flips the whole thing on its head and makes it profitable. Uh, and, you know, I'm talking to people here tonight who are actually finding ways of growing natives inside pine forests that eventually will take over the pine forest. You know, as you cut down the trees, the natives come. So you've just got to use innovation. You've got to look new thinking. Um, obviously, think about how you could make it profitable because these guys, you know, they won't do it just for love. They might do some of it because it'll tear on the heartstrings, but they also need to see a profit. So what does success look like? It'll be a long time after I'm dead, but it'll be the fact that New Zealand has got a lot more native permanent forest cover and that we are sequestering one hell of a lot more than we're actually creating in terms of CO2. Now, there's two ways we can do that. Stop burning oil and combustion engines and all that stuff and only use energy coming from renewable sources, but at the same time sequester everything else that, for example, you know, makes up for methane that comes from animals, etc. I'm involved in this project because I've seen what happens to our landscapes when we don't look after them. I'm from Tairapiti, from the east coast, and what we see there is a very erodible landscape, one that just falls apart, you know, if it gets a very heavy dose of rain on it. And we've cleared a lot of it, and then we've decided in order to stabilise it to plant, you know, monocultures of uh, pine plantations. And then we clear fell them every, you know, 27 years or so. And what I see is hillsides collapsing. I've seen, you know, farms covered in slash. I've seen our rivers turn to mud every time it rains. And what I have learned from being in places like Germany is 
but there are other ways of doing it. You know, you can take native trees that are indigenous to those those landscapes, and you can grow them in such a way that you can then harvest them, but in small coops, and you rely on regeneration, and you've got foresters who are trained in ecology, so the rivers run clean out of those forests. People run through them, they ride through them, and they, they decided to do that about 20 years ago in Germany because they could see that they were facing a biodiversity crisis. You know, climate change was already starting to happen, and they just decided that monocultures of pine of conifers um, with fire um, and infestations of bugs was not the sensible way to use their landscapes. So I think in New Zealand, we can do something that's going to be a, a win for everything. You know, for tourism, for people that love being in the forest, just to just to be in it, to run through it, to ride through it. But equally for timber, some of the most beautiful timber trees in the world. Well, nature-based solutions are where you. You sit and look and see how a river behaves, for example, or you get to know the topography of the landscape that you're farming or that you want to make a living off, and you, you learn how it works. So if it's highly erodible, for example, you don't cover it in trees that you then clear fell every 25 years, you know, so that then the, all the topsoil lands up in your rivers and in the ocean. Um, instead, you, do, you use species that are going to be long-lived, uh, you can fell them selectively so that you've still got the, the canopy and they're still a habitat, but they're also fantastic for tourism, for example. So with climate change, there are people that are saying, you know, just plant the country in pine trees. And, and the, some of the areas they're suggesting are places like the East Coast. They call it marginal land. It's not marginal land. It's beautiful land, you know, but it, that's, that's, a, that's not a nature-based solution. That's a silly solution for those particular landscapes. Whereas if we had jobs coming out of nature-based forestry and we had beautiful timbers coming out, sort of finishing timbers, for example, and we had ecosystems full of life and fantastic for tourism and good jobs for locals, what's not to like? You know, at the heart of the 100% pure, you know, clean green New Zealand, there's a kind of dream in there, which is one that's really close to the hearts of most Kiwis. And that is having, you know, a good living in a beautiful land and you know we've got one of the most beautiful these gorgeous islands of ours and we have given them a really tough time over the last you know couple of hundred years certainly but before that even to some degree and we'll know we've succeeded when people can make a good living in a land that's absolutely full of birds it's you know the forests are flourishing the streams are running clear kids can swim in the rivers uh, the the sea's full of fish and people are happy, you know, people are having a good life. And I think that's very achievable. I'm Peter Berg and I'm president of Tarnay's Tree Trust. I've been in forestry for forever. In fact, my father was a forestry contractor and started out in the Manawatu cutting down native trees, believe it or not. And uh, I, I uh, entered into uh, forestry career and I've been involved uh, over the last almost 70 years now. I was president of Forest Owners for 12 years, uh, president of uh, Institute of Forestry for four years, uh, been on the board of Scion and uh, so forth. For some time it's become aware, uh, I've been aware that uh, Na forestry with native trees in New Zealand has sort of fallen off uh, uh, over the edge and, and uh, people don't even 
think about it. So we formed Tane's Tree Trust about 20 years ago at a time when the government wasn't putting any funding into uh, growing native trees or uh, was, wasn't even doing any research work and it became very apparent and uh, it was all almost ironic that in a country like New Zealand, which grows some brilliant species of trees, that we weren't planting and weren't managing and weren't growing them for the wood that uh, our whole country had been built on, uh, you know, over the last century and a half. Native trees are obviously adapted to grow all over New Zealand, and uh, so you can grow them everywhere, but uh, uh, we need to recognise that our economy is a little broader than that. So. Uh, uh, what we've got to do is look at our total landscape and those areas that are best for agriculture, those areas uh, that are best for forestry, uh, and then even within the forestry areas, what trees are best for uh, what categories of land, yeah. Success for me is a landscape which has got a mix of appropriate land uses, uh, fertile, productive, versatile land and agriculture, maybe even horticulture. Uh, the steeper lands, uh, the lands that are more di difficult to use, perhaps being used for production, forestry uh, with native species or exotic species, high country, steep land, uh, maybe in protection forest and uh, um, particularly targeted at uh, protecting the biodiversity, the natural species that have existed in New Zealand for millennia, really. My name's um, Sheridan Ashford and I work for a company called Summit Forests. I work in the export space at the moment, but I'm also the president of a group called the Future Foresters, which is a group um, focused on bringing more young people into forestry, spreading the word, but then also once young people get into forestry, we want to help them stay in forestry and create networks and connect with the industry. My name's Adrian Liu. I work for a forest management company, but I also have a startup business specialising in native regeneration on farmers' land. So. And are you also part of Future Forest? I am part of Future Forest, so I was part of the founding members of that. So. <laughs> um, I was a bit younger when I did it, but I'm <laughs> still there now. <laughs> On my day job um, in the forest management space, plantation exotic forestry, I deal with farmers day in, day out who are looking at land use choices. Yeah. done a lot of work through the One Billion Trees program at looking at what's the best for this piece of land. Is it exotics? Is it natives? Is it... Um, remaining as pastoral farming and just weighing up land use options and one thing that I've realised through talking with farmers is that it doesn't always come down to the, the, the dollar figure on the bottom line and that there's a lot of um, mm. a lot of personal feelings involved and a lot of farmers love native bush as, as do I so I, I'm really supportive of this cause because I think there's a real opportunity to integrate more native into the landscape especially on farms and it's just about getting the knowledge the resources and enabling those farmers to be able to do that. We're actually pretty different, which is kind of why it works. I um, work for commercial forestry, pine trees, 100%. So when you know Peter gave me a call about this, it's probably a weak point in my skill set. So I just really wanted to learn, and this was like a opportunity to learn more about natives because I think sometimes you know when you work in forestry and people just think that that's pine trees. Sometimes it kind of feels like I work for a tobacco company, the way people kind of 
treat you and that makes me feel like I want to learn more about the other aspects of forestry so this was kind of an opportunity. So we um, riparian planting is a huge component of what we sort of promote um, I guess there's two aspects of what I view natives as being important for one is areas that you can plant natives so it's hard growing sites mm -hmm. where you're um, native isn't naturally regenerating and then there's land which just naturally should be native bush which has been farmed it's been sprayed it's been mm. you've been fighting against nature for the last 30 40 50 years and if a landowner has the opportunity to lock that up reduce the grazing pressure mm. um, put in proper pest and weed control and let that turn back to native bush that's exactly what the land wants so I think we, we did a bit of um, went and visited Hinawai Reserve on Banks Peninsula with Hugh Wilson and just had to talk about how he transformed that place from what was once a, a, a working farm turned to gorse, eventually into native bush. And just seeing that you can fight against nature for so long, but nature will always win in the long term, that kind of stuck with me. And I thought, well, there's a lot of people fighting against nature on farms right now. Why don't we work together with nature and make it work? Interesting. Hmm. You um, work in the export business. Do you see revenue opportunities in native timber? Yes, but it's such a probably a taboo subject like I would have I've never priced native timber to export so you know there's value in minor species in New Zealand at the moment so you know your cypress or eucalypts but I, I've never exported natives. Your article that you, you you wrote about sort of a hundred years ahead yeah. so tell us about what that vision is. I think what we wanted to do in the article was just you know, if we started today, what would it look like if New Zealand put the pedal to the metal, you know, and we put our money where our mouth is and we put those natives in the ground and those values in New Zealand changed. And if we could, you know, get the, that team of five million on board with what we are looking at, what would it look like in a hundred years? You know, I think I really liked um, the part in the article where we talk about the housing and how you can see the golden syrupy tones of the matai coming through in the housing and the landscape and how that would look. Quite poetic, actually. Do you think so? Yeah, I do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and just, you know, um, I think because we're sort of new in the industry and um, from what we see in the levels of bureaucracy or um, when we see animosity around forestry versus farming, farming, what we wanted to get across in the article was that dissolving the boundaries mm. between forestry and farming, like we're all kaitiaki of New Zealand, you know, hoping for a better future. You'd be good to the land, she'll be good to you. So that's kind. that was kind of where we started. Mm. Right, my, my kind of driver was, I've got the, I, I'm, quite environmentally minded to begin with but I've got this niece called Lily and she's a they, I think they call it an, an enviro fern or something at their, mm. at their I guess it's primary school which is kind of scary to say and <laughs> we were on a bushwalk through Hamner like a, a, a family bushwalk and she was pointing out all the benefits to the water of the native bush and I was I was thinking back when I was 10 like what I knew about and I'm pretty sure I was ripping Beyblades and playing Pokemon cards. Like, I had no idea what a, <laughs> what a native forest was. And I thought, if you've got this driving pressure from the next generation, which is yeah. so environmentally minded and they care about the country, and what would they be pushing in 100 years' time? Because obviously I'm probably not going to be around and you're probably not going to be around, but they or the, the, my niece or my niece's children will be around. And I don't see the passion for the env environment 
dying through generations. So that was something I tried to kind of think about when we were writing the article was what would they want to see? Yeah. Like, I know what I want to see, but really what, what do they want to see? Because I'll be the ones benefiting. Mm. Yeah. One of the um, struggles in New Zealand, I guess, we deal with is with the forest accord, we locked up all the native um, mm. forests for harvesting. We had corporates which came in and planted pine trees and we really developed those markets. It's not to say we couldn't develop the same markets for native timber. We've just been going down one road for so long. Mm. And it's a scale thing, isn't it? Mm. We're a small country, bottom of the Pacific, so if we want to be competitive, we've got to have scale. So we need more people on board with this native dream. We need more young people. This is quite an old set. <laughs> have you noticed? <laughs> Dangerously. Hence <laughs> the uh, yeah. huge forest. Yes, yeah. Yeah, we, I don't know, we just have like a passion for forestry that I didn't know it existed until I sort of mistakenly landed there at university mm. through a failed year in engineering. Um, <laughs> and when you come out of this, like a vocational degree, there's more jobs than people, mm. right? Which is, the opposite to the rest of our friends yep. so you know you walk into the industry ready to go and there's a bit of a succession kind of gap in forestry now mm. so the opportunities for us are massive so we kind of try and spread the word as much as we can that forestry doesn't mean chainsaws or spray paint it's a wide industry ranging from native right through to Europe so just cool. That was Sheridan Ashford and Adrian Liu, the co-founders of Future Foresters. They've co-written an excellent piece about the future of forestry on the Otato Nahiri website, and you can view that article and all the content from Otato Nahiri at pureadvantage.org, including that beautiful film that I mentioned earlier. Apologies for the sound quality on some of these interviews. So from Wellington, thank you and see you next week. Thanks for listening to This Climate Business. I hope you enjoyed the program. There are more episodes as well as notes and blogs on our website, thisclimatebusiness.com. I'm Vincent Herringer, and if you know someone who deserves to be interviewed on our show, email me, vincent at thisclimatebusiness.com, or find me on Twitter, vherringer, that's two E's, one R. Meanwhile, I'll be back same time next week, and no hurrah.